Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this evening. And Lord, we thank you for a time that we can gather and worship you and to be around your word. I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and minds to your word, make us uh, able to understand what we're reading, that we're able to apply it to our hearts and to our lives, that we'd be changed because of your word. And Father, I don't know what's going on this afternoon, Lord, as far as everyone's specific situations, Lord, but I just pray that whatever we're coming in here with today, that we would uh, just really be ready to receive what you have for us. And we thank you, Lord, in advance of what you're already doing and what you're going to do. And so, Father, again, thank you for your, your grace and your mercy to us, that you would extend it through the gospel, that we would be children of yours, that you would redeem us and receive us uh, through Christ, and that you would also then begin to shape us and mold us into the image of Christ. And so, Lord, again, we thank you for tonight. I pray that as we gather, we would encourage each other, Lord, and thank you for being a God that can turn graves into gardens, that you are a God that can take dead bones and breathe into them the life of the gospel, and we are quickened, we are made alive. And we're not made alive and given this eternal life so that we might enjoy our own pleasures, chase our own desires, but we are given this life that we might pursue you and chase after what you have for us. And again, Lord, we say chase after, but not so much that we work for it, but that you're just working those things in us as we pursue you. And so, Father, help our hearts and our minds to pursue you tonight, to engage you, to engage your word, and again, be changed because of it. Father, thank you for this time. Bless now we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I do want to begin this evening uh, with a couple announcements. And so a couple of things I want to make sure you're aware of that we've been talking about now for a few weeks, but always want to make sure you're aware of there. Um, obviously, we've got uh, kickoff carnival coming up September 6th. And so huge event I want to make sure you're aware of uh, that you're inviting uh, people out to. Uh, this is going to be um, online, available there as well. You can share it online. You can communicate that way if you'd like uh, to let people know. Um, also want to let you know about our Bible studies coming up. So we have uh, ladies Bible study is starting up on Tuesday, September 26th, Thursday evening, the 28th. Men's Bible study is starting up on Thursday, the 28th. And so that's going to be going on. So don't miss out on that. Um, also, uh, to the men's Bible study, uh, this is going to be an, a really amazing study. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Um, it's looking at kind of the historical settings that Jesus actually lived in and how his teachings can take on more meaning than maybe we're thinking it through in being in a different culture. And as we talked about this morning, as Tammy talked about in such a wonderful way um, and articulated that when you think about cultural differences, sometimes we don't always catch those. And so there's some things that Jesus taught in a certain way that the more we understand the culture in which he was saying those things, the more life that things may have for us. And so um, just watching a couple of the little teasers and previews of some of the sessions, um, I'm really excited for this. I did not preview all the sessions, um, but what I've seen so far is it, I think it's going to be a great study. So that being said, $10 is the cost of the book. So don't miss out on that, guys. You can sign up as soon as you leave here tonight. Um, I do want to encourage you to be a part of that. Um, and I want to encourage the guys, especially because, um, I mean, if we're being honest, uh, the ladies Bible study sign up sheet is usually, if not double, sometimes three times as many ladies as guys sign up for Bible studies. And as a man, um, I, I would love to see that at least be equal in number. And I love that our ladies are involved in studying God's word. Uh, but there's nothing that really keeps us men from doing it. Maybe excuses or laziness. But uh, if we just decide to be a part of it, we, we can do it, right? Uh, you will always be able to make time for the things that you want to make time for. So I want to encourage all the men uh, to be a part of that. Um, so again, that's going on September 28th in the evening at 6 o'clock, all right? Uh, also, student ministry. Don't forget they have their kickoff coming up on September 9th, uh, 6 to 9 p.m. right here at the church. Um, there is no cost for that, correct? No cost. Uh, looks like they're going to have some s'mores, tons of games, hot dogs, uh, bonfire, all that kind of stuff. And so obviously encourage the students to be inviting friends out. Um, and if you know anybody in 7th through 12th grade, they'd be blessed by that. Invite them out. Let them know about that. We would encourage that. All right. Um, so cool and so exciting to have our Word of Life meeting right before service tonight uh, to see so many around the table. Um, excited to be there. We were actually missing a few who were out of town this weekend, but so excited this year for, man, the first time in I don't know, a couple of years now, um, we actually have enough teachers where we'll have two Gopher Buddy groups going and our Olympian group um, will actually be uh, 
able to split. As far as I know, that's the plan. Um, so actually our younger Olympians and our older Olympians can split off. And we now have two teachers that are teaching both of those groups before all the Olympians were together in one group. And sometimes teaching a first grader and a sixth grader, that can be challenging, right? Um, you don't want to be over the head of the first grader, but you don't want to talk too much down to where the sixth grader is bored. So I'm amazed and I'm, I'm just always in awe of when God answers prayer concerns. We've been praying this for um, a couple of years now. So, so excited for that. Um, saying all that, Sandra gets to be just kind of the director this year for the first time in a few years. And so we're so thankful for that, for all those that are helping out. Small group leaders have stepped up. Um, last year, if you remember at the award ceremony, uh, I think one of our small group leaders had 10 girls, 12 girls, 12 girls in a small group. That's not a small group, right? That's, that's actually like three small groups, okay, and one. Um, this year, with, because of the number of small group leaders that have stepped up, we're thinking we'll have between four to six in each group. Um, and so we're just so excited for that, maybe closer to four to five. So we're so excited for that. So just an awesome time to be thankful for what the Lord is doing. Um, so just appreciate you guys, your prayers, your support of what God is doing. Um, some of these leaders are new Word of Life leaders, and we have some return leaders that are serving. So we're so thankful for that. All right. So that's all the announcements I really have for this evening. Um, I do want to open up if anyone has any questions or comments about any upcoming events or anything like that. Oh, did I say six? Is it six? It probably is 630. You're probably right. 630. Yes. Sorry. If I said six, thank you for catching that. Um, so 630. All right. Yeah, absolutely. So definitely want to sign up for that, guys. Any other comments, questions, or thoughts? Or corrections? Those are always good, too. No? All right. Well, this evening, we are continuing our study. We started last Sunday evening through Ephesians 3, a passage that we distributed. And so I do have uh, more of those. If you were not with us last week, uh, we do have a copy for you. So I'm going to need maybe a couple volunteers that were willing to hand out some papers. So who wants something else? Anthony, come on up. Josiah, come on up. That's, oh, Evan. Okay, so Anthony and Evan, we'll do that. All right, you get the handouts and you get the clipboards. Okay, so if you need a handout, if you were not with us last week, raise your hand. Anthony will take care of that. If you need a clipboard, Evan's got clipboards for you, something to write on. Uh, we do have pens. If you need pens, those are up here as well. Does anyone need a pen? Josiah, can you, maybe you can do that. I forgot about pens, so we do need you. That's okay. It's all about sharing is caring. Pastor Keith in the back there needs a pen. In the back there, bud. In the very back. Very back. I really wish Josiah was more outgoing. I really do. <laughs> he's like selling pens like he's on an infomercial at 2 in the morning. Not only that, order now. Buy this pen and get 17 for free. If you ask, Yes. <laughs> We'll send you a whole nother set completely free. Nothing says quality than something given to you for free. Extra what's? Are all the handouts gone? Oh, uh, then we'll need to make it. Who does not have a handout that needs one? One, two. This is the same one from last week. Okay. Josiah, come here. Okay. So, so we need more handouts. So I need... Uh, I need a blank handout. So if somebody's got a blank one I can borrow. Sandra, can you make a couple copies? So I think, or Greg can too. That'd be fine. Either way. Um, do you have your keys on you? Okay. So uh, as of now, you guys said you're sharing. So that's one. Mary needs one. Jeff needs one. So Steve needs one. So I guess do four. Just do four. Yes. Yes. If you pick the right envelope, you can get the handout. If anybody takes all the envelopes, we'll put your name on the floor. That's what we'll do right in the middle. This is Steve's floor or whoever's floor it is. So no pressure, Steve. I don't mean to say you got to take all the envelopes. So, uh, no, while he's, uh, while Greg is doing that, Pastor Greg's doing that, um, quick praise. Um, and I know we said we weren't going to go too far into telling you too much about funds for floors, but I just have to give a huge praise. Um, the Lord has been blessing tremendously with that. Um, and so, uh, we are actually, in the very beginning stages of starting replacing some of the flooring. Um, and so uh, the nursery 
and the main office area would be the first two kind of problem areas that are going to be tackled. Um, and so I don't have a timeline when that's going to be finished. We're just literally starting picking out samples, the whole nine, as far as the board and stuff. And so, but the Lord has been blessing so much in that. Um, I, I think, I don't know, where's, is Jeff still in here? Jeff, do you think I should tell him how much is, should we wait? We should probably wait. I don't think I should tell him. Should I tell him? Uh, Jeff's like, whatever. Okay, so, yeah, okay. So you guys can see how many envelopes are left on the wall, right? Um, not counting what's on the wall or what was taken off the wall that hasn't come in yet, because we don't know that for sure. Um, we're right about 38,000, right? Um, so, yeah, look at just... <laughs> You're all alone, bud. You're all alone. Yeah, okay. So the reason that's a huge praise is... Um, because all the flooring that we want to do, I know he's so shy. I wish he was more social. Um, we want to do everything completely debt-free. And so the fact that you guys have raised so much money, in, and again, it's taken a little longer than maybe some of us thought it would, but I'm so thankful that the Lord's been blessing. And so uh, we are really, really on a good pace right now to have the Lord and see the Lord just do some great things. And so we're starting that process. Um, and so I'm excited to see where the Lord continues to fi finish this out. Um, but you'll start seeing prayerfully over the next couple of months, you're going to start seeing some improvements in the building. And so we'll be keeping you informed about that. But I'm so excited for what the Lord is doing. All right. Um, he's not back yet, but that's okay. So here's what we're going to do. When he does come back, if you're new with us tonight or haven't been here in a while, uh, we're going to give you a handout. You're going to have about 10 minutes or so to look over the handout. I know some of you were here last week, and so you've already started this process. Um, so just bear with us or do a little more study. Um, if you need one, raise your hand. Pastor Greg will take care of getting you one. Okay. So if you did not get one, Steve's not raising his hand, but he needs one. We'll give you a handout whether you want one or not. So what we're going to do is we're going to give you about 10 minutes. And then what we want you to do is read over the text. And we're making observations. So remember, when we're looking at a passage of Scripture, the three things we want to do with that passage, or whether it's a single verse, or whether it's a passage, like multiple verses like this, I think it's 13 verses, or whether it's a whole chapter, a Bible book, we're doing the same basic three steps. Okay? Observation, interpretation, application. Observation, we're just observing what's in the text. Who wrote it? Who received it? What's being talked about? Are there conversations? Is there any figures of speech we need to pay attention to? Any historical things? Any geographical locations mentioned? Um, things like that. We're also making observations if there's other principles we see in Scripture. So if the verse we're reading references something that we go, hey, that reminds me of this passage over here. We're writing that down. Okay? And we're, you can do this in your own personal Bible study. So as you're doing that, making those observations, the reason we do that is we want to ask the next question. So observation is kind of like, what is it saying? Like, what's being talked about? here. Interpretation is simply, what does it mean? So now I understand kind of what's going on in the text. What does that mean though? Spiritually, personally, uh, in the course of just what's being communicated, is, what is it talking about as far as how do I apply that, which is the last step. So we want to say, what is it saying? What does it mean? And then how do I apply this to my life today? So we're going to give you some time to do that. So note some things there that jump out to you. You can break the passage up if you see kind of a some transitions there or different topics being talked about. That's what we're saying. So we're making observations, all right? Once we do that, we'll come back. We're actually going to start in verse 8 and go through the end of the chapter. So we should be good to finish tonight. But I'll give you guys about 10 minutes, like I said. Make some observations, underline, circle things, make some notations off to the side. And then we'll come back in 10 minutes and talk about it some more.
we'll go ahead and uh, jump in here. So a couple of things we want to make note of that we covered last week. Um, we won't go through all the verses together, but uh, we do want to make a point of reminding us about uh, kind of the first few things we need to make note of. Um, obviously, the author of this passage of Scripture, obviously we know it's God by inspiration, but who is the human author of this passage? Paul, right? And how does Paul identify himself? He gives himself a couple titles in the passage. The first thing he calls himself is a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And so we talked about that last week, that this is a kind of a, in my mind, kind of has a couple meanings. There's the spiritual sense. He is a prisoner of Christ in the sense that he's a bond servant of Christ. He's an indentured servant. He's willfully and joyfully surrendered his life to Christ. He's, he's imprisoned to Christ. He is the servant of Christ. He is, in essence, the real, maybe better translation would be slave of Christ. Whatever Christ says, he desires to do to please him. But he also gives himself the title of an apostle. And so we'll talk about that a little bit in this part of the passage that we're going to dive into. Um, and so he identifies himself as the author, the one writing this letter or this epistle. And who is he writing it to? Who are, who's receiving this letter? Right, the church at Ephesus, right? So these are believers. That's, as we said last week, when we're looking at a passage for the purpose of interpretation, we have to understand, I can't apply it correctly unless I know who it's written to. So if it's written to an unbeliever, that's applied one way. If it's written to the believer, it's applied a different way. And so again, we just got to take that into consideration that these are things written to the church. Okay. Um, last week, we gave you the example from actually something Richard C. mentioned in the morning that 1 John 1, 9 um, is a verse written to believers. And those that believe in sinless perfection, that once you're saved, you're never going to sin again. John apparently didn't believe that when he wrote to the church, if you confess your sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He also wouldn't believe in chapter 2 when he says, hey, I'm asking that you would sin not, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So that matters because he's writing that to the church. That means, as a Christian, I should not stumble into sin and chew sin, but as a Christian still in the flesh, I may. And when I do, I need to, according to First John, I need to confess it, be cleansed of it, and then realize that that sin doesn't stop Jesus from defending me to the Father in his righteousness. And so, again, if I don't know that was written to a believer, I might think, oh, that's just for salvation, that First John 1, 9 is just to tell somebody about the gospel. We can use it in that context. That's fine. But specifically knowing it's written to the church gives comfort and security to the church, right? I don't have to fear I might have lost my salvation this morning because I said or did whatever I said or did. No, no, no. I have an advocate, a guaranteed defense, somebody that speaks on my behalf. Again, not because I'm so amazing, that Jesus just has to defend me, but because he has chosen to love, extend grace to me, to save me, and then he keeps me. And so again, we need to know that when we're talking about the passages that we're breaking apart. So he goes in and talks about this idea of a revelation that was given to him that he is making known. Specifically, he's talking about who? The Gentiles. Now, did Paul only minister to the Gentiles? No, he ministered to the Jews as well, right? But remember, again, we're writing to the church at Ephesus, which had a Jewish community, but as well as a very large, what? Pagan or Gentile community. And so he's writing to them. He's saying, listen, I was given this assignment by God, Acts chapter 9, to bring this mystery and to make it known to you. But as we said last time, that mystery has already started to be revealed in the book already, or the letter. It starts in chapter 1, it's expounded on chapter 2, and he even goes farther in chapter 3. So what is the mystery? Well, the mystery is simply this. In Christ, we're all one. Jew and Gentile, we're one. There's no more division. And at the end of chapter 2, he builds on that. Because in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, For this cause. I would tend to think that's saying, what cause? Well, the cause is how we ended chapter 2, which is what? Jesus Christ, by his grace, and only by his grace, he's fitting all of us together into this temple, this, this body, this building. And I've always thought about Legos, right? An individual Lego is built together with other Legos to make something. And we're that Lego. Maybe some are unique in shape, size, personality, talents, interests, right? Different than any other Lego in our understanding of it. But Jesus Christ takes us in our uniqueness and fits us together as one church. That's pretty amazing. I've always been blown away by the disciples and how Jesus knitted them together. You've got a tax collector 
and a man that was part of a Jewish sect that was assassins who killed the Romans and tax collectors, puts them together and says, you guys are going to build my church. You've got a huge dynamic of personalities. You've got Peter, who's loudmouthed and kind of outgoing and very boisterous. You've got Andrew, who seems to kind of blend into the background. We kind of forget Andrew's there. But all having their unique positions, purpose, designed by God to do this thing called the church and to lay the groundwork for the church. And so again, he's expounding on this, that that's the mystery, that in Christ, we are one through the gospel. He's putting us and building us together. And this is very different than what the Jews and Gentiles thought before. Even the Jews, if you were a Gentile and you converted to Judaism, you were never considered fully Jewish. You were always kind of second class. But yet in the gospel, we're all made equal. That's a pretty cool thing. Because that means that I have no right to look at anyone else with prejudice. If we're all equally given grace, equally extended that common salvation, then we all equally need those things. Therefore, we can equally love, support, and encourage each other, no matter our differences, our uniquenesses, and things of that nature. So he's building on this. He talks about that this wasn't fully known in the past, but now it's being made known. Uh, It's been given to the sons of men. Now, here's the thing, too. The word revelation in chapter 3 This is actually the revelation. This is meaning never before fully known, given to Paul to give to us. People use the word revelation today a lot. Oh, God revealed to me, or I had this revelation. I, we've said this many times, but I just want to kind of pause here. I personally think maybe illuminated or enlightened is a better term for us to use. Because when I say God gave me a revelation, what I'm actually saying is no one has ever known this before and God has given it to just me. That's a very dangerous thing to say because now we're putting our supposed revelation from God on par with known revelation, which is scripture. And this is how a lot of false teachings, um, there's people that claim to have a word from the Lord. And I don't mean an inkling in their spirit or an unction in their spirit to something already revealed. They're telling you, no, 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 God gave me this word and you need me to tell you this word. And without me, you're not going to know the word. That's a scary thing to be a part of, but it's happening all across Christianity, especially in the apostolic movement and other charismatic movements. And so when he says the word revelation, he's actually meaning, hey, this is a revelation given to me. When he pens those words and he gives it to us through the word of God, it's, it's still being revealed, but it's illuminating our minds. The Holy Spirit's enlightening our minds to these things. So I just want to note that. Um, and that's why he says in verse 4, when we read, you understand. When we read the words of Paul, which are really the words of God here, we understand what that mystery is in Christ. So we talked about all this last week, a lot of it. Um, we talked about Paul being made a minister according to the gift of grace. It was all by grace that he was even called into the ministry. And so look at verses 8 through 12, and we're going to talk about the humility that he demonstrates in his call that he had humility in his call. So if I can get a volunteer that would like to read verses 8 through 12, and I always think I should probably have you guys read before you scribble all over the paper, because it'd probably be a little easier to read unless there's, you know, you're very, very clean in your underlines, but mine's hard to read after I write all over it. So, but verses 8 through 12, if I can get a volunteer that would like to read that for us, Renee. All right. Thank you, ma'am. I was going to call on you tonight anyway, whether you raised your hand or not, because what we talked about this morning, but, um, and Keith was looking down. He didn't make eye contact. I would have got him too, but, um, that's just an inside joke. But so here we see in verses eight through 12, what I kind of just identified as his humility in his call. So we broke up the passage quickly for those that weren't with us. Um, I should have went over that, but verses, uh, verse one is his introduction. Uh, verses two through seven is his expounding on the mystery of Christ or of the gospel. Uh, 8 through 12 is his humility. 
And then verse 13 is his encouragement to walk in strength. And so we kind of see the breaking apart that way. Verse 1, 2 through 7, 8 through 12, and then 13. So Paul here makes a very interesting statement. He says in verse 8, Unto me who am less than the least of all saints. He's not saying I'm just the least. He's saying I'm less than the least. And Paul's not being kind of like showing false humility here. He's being humble. He's actually saying, no, no, I don't even deserve to have the position of last among the saints. Now, he says in another passage, he's the least of all apostles. Here, he's not even talking about the apostles. Who are the saints? Yeah, all believers, right? Despite what some have taught over the years and what some have done, all believers are saints. Your identity is in Christ. Now, again, I know what we mean when we say this. We are all sinners who have been saved by grace. We are being saved by grace right now. Amen. Amen. I, I'm, I'm excited for that. I don't know if you are, but I'm thankful because if it wasn't, if he saved me and didn't keep saving me, I would have lost it day one, hour two of being saved. Right. I think it's uh, MacArthur that says, if I could lose my salvation, I would. Right. right? And so he saves us and he keeps on saving us by his grace through faith. He's doing this work for us. And so once we come to know Christ, you are no longer a sinner. Your identity is no longer a sinner saved by grace. Your identity is a saint. And in God's economy, he does not look at us and go, oh, you're just a sinner that I saved. No, no, no. He says, no, you're my son. You're my daughter. You're my beloved. You're a saint. You're a holy one that's been set aside, right? You have been sanctified. And as Tammy said this morning, we are being sanctified. We're being made into the image of Christ. And we are already in the fullness of our salvation. And one day we'll experience that and see him and be like him. But here we see that Paul's saying, even among all believers, I am less than the least. So whoever you think and by the way, we're gauging least and best, right? God's not going, you're number one, you're number two, you're number three. He's saying, even if you think about the church, and we do this too, man, that person, they're, they're so far up the charts as far as a saint because of what they do for God or what gifts they have or what talents they have or what books they've written or whatever. And then we think, I'm kind of down here, probably towards the bottom of the list, right? Paul says, I'm least than even that person. Like that person's so far above me. So however you gauge successful Christians, he's saying, I'm way down at the bottom. And why does he say this? Why does he say that I'm lust, less than the least of all the saints? Or in another scripture, he says, he is least of all the apostles. Why does Paul, and he does tell us in scripture by his own admission, why does Paul believe this is true? Why does Paul say, I am the least of all apostles, I'm less than the least of the saints? Why did Paul feel that way? Sandra. Yes. So you can jot down under verse eight, uh, first Corinthians 15, nine. And this is where Paul tells us the reason he thinks this is he says, because I persecuted the church of God, because I persecuted the church of God. So he is saying the reason he believes he's in this position and should not even be called the least of all saints, but less than that is because he stood against the things of Christ in his pre-conversion life. He imprisoned Christians. He oversaw the stoning of Stephen, uh, which we read about in Acts 7, which again is basically him giving his affirmation or him giving his approval. And so here we see he's saying, because of those things, I am the least of that. So again, I, I'm not saying that God considered Paul the least of all the saints. Paul is saying I am not worthy of the position that God has called me to. That's really what Paul's saying. I, I am not in my own mind, in my own standing, able to be considered great among the church because of what I've done. He is humbling himself, which he says in the very next phrase. He says, is this grace given? So he's admitting, I'm humble, I'm the least, but God has given me grace. And I love the way Ephesians talks about the grace and the power of God's grace in our lives, not only to save us, but to call us and equip us to do what God's calling us to do. And we all feel this way as Paul feels. We've all believed that. We must also pause and note as well that Paul says this mystery that he's referring to countless times is only a mystery to us, not to the Lord. We read in the passage there that this all, all that he's expounding, all that he's talking about and up to this, uh, up to this point in the letter, all of this is a part of God's eternal purpose. That this is part of God's 
plan that in Christ, all things are created and they were created for Christ, for the glory of the Lord. And so again, in verse nine, you could jot down underneath there where he says, who created all things? Colossians chapter one, verse 16. That's again, an affirmation to that same principle. You see earlier in verse nine, they, you know, Colossians 1 16, I'm sorry. That he says there that this mystery that he's been kind of expounding or unfolding says, which from the beginning, this is not new. This is something that, again, has been a part of God's plan since the beginning. And Jesus, God, the spirit, were all in unison, all in agreement that this is the plan. And we've said this before. Jesus did not arrive on planet earth and go, okay, Lord, I'll begrudgingly or by force, I'll go along with the plan. We always talk about God's love, right? John 3, 16, for God's love the world. And he does. And praise God that God loves us and has loved us and will continue to love us to the point where we can be saved. But Jesus equally loves you. There's nothing wrong with that. The song that Danielle sang, was it last week? Jesus loves me. We have to remember, not only does God love me, but Jesus loves me. And by the way, the spirit loves you because the spirit endures your foolishness when he indwells you and keeps walking with you. The Spirit keeps you even when you're not lovable. The Spirit endures with us. Why? Because of a love for you, but ultimately a love for God and a love for the plan of God, a commitment to that plan. So again, we see here this is all a part of the, the, the eternal plan and purpose of God. It was a mystery to us, not to God. That's the point. This is all unfolding exactly as God knew it would. Paul's also preaching, and we see a phrase here. You maybe underlined it in verse 8. He's preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. What comes to your mind when you hear that phrase? Like, what do you think of when you think the unsearchable riches of Christ? I had a few thoughts that crossed my mind originally. But what do you think of when you hear the unsearchable riches of Christ? What comes to mind? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We I get all of the beautiful riches and gifts of who he is. And it's unsearchable. Yeah. Because of his infinitude and the depths of our depravity and the length to which he condescended. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Absolutely. Amen. Any, any other thoughts on that? What comes to your mind when you think about the unsearchable riches of Christ, that phrase that Paul lays forth? Any other thoughts on that? Sandra. I guess I was thinking it's kind of like who God, who God is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Absolutely. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. We can keep searching. We can keep chasing after her. We can keep finding more and more. And that puts him in the center. We can't calculate who God is. And again, what Avi said, speaking in the idea of the gospel, just the gospel alone, all that that accomplishes, 
we're never fully this side of heaven going to understand, right? We said it last week. I think when we see him and we're like him, we'll finally understand the real cost of grace and the real depth of our sin. Like, I think it'll finally click because we don't really get it now. We can't, right? Because we're, we're in it. We're not outside of it. And he's completely objective. He's looking in and we're in the muck and mire. We can't see the full picture yet, but one day we will, right? I also love that Paul says, I'm preaching to you the unsearchable riches of Christ. So part of that unsearchable riches is the mystery that he's revealing in this very letter. You used to not know this. Now I'm telling you this. So you can't search out the depth of all of this, but I'm giving you a drop in the bucket. I'm revealing to you by God's grace just a a slight sliver of what this looks like. I'm giving you a taste of what this looks like. When I first wrote this or read this, I wrote kind of on the paper there, man, if it's unsearchable, that sounds almost intimidating. I'm never going to figure it out, so why try kind of a mindset. That was really, honestly, I mean, as a Christian, I understand all that we're saying. But my first thought was like, well, but if it's unsearchable, then I'm never going to achieve knowing it. So that's frustrating. Like I'm never going to get to that point, the side of heaven, but that's the beauty of what you guys just talked about. While what I just said is true, we're never going to fully get down in there, but the journey is so wonderful to try to see more and more how how God's going to show us that. And he says it in verse 10, right? He says to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church. So we're going to know some of this now. We didn't used to know it. Now we're knowing it. It says the manifold wisdom of God. So what's part of the unsearchable riches? The manifold or the many faced, the, the vast variety that is the wisdom of God. Again, you can jot down James chapter 1 verse 5. James chapter 1 verse 5. How is James 1 5 true? That if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He gives all men liberally, abradeth not. Means he doesn't shame us that we didn't ask for wisdom before. I love that. If I don't ask for wisdom and I make a foolish decision and I come and ask for wisdom, some of you go, you should have asked for wisdom two weeks ago before you made the choice. Well, you're an idiot. You, should, you wouldn't have been in this situation. Abradeth not is referring to the idea that God doesn't do that. He doesn't beat us up. When we didn't ask for wisdom, he just goes, okay, here's the wisdom you need. How is that wisdom made available? How is the manifold wisdom of God even available to us finite saved, but still finite in the flesh creatures because of the gospel, because of the mystery that Paul's revealing that by grace, this is now available to you. So again, what a beautiful picture of that. Uh, Quickly. What I also jotted down here when I was doing some study on this, uh, a couple commentaries pointed to scripture as a whole is the revealing of the unsearchable riches of Christ. So that means what Paul is preaching was not discovered by human reason. So this mystery that Paul's preaching, this gospel, this unity that's available now in Christ, this is not available or discovered by human reason or intellect, but solely by divine revelation. So I'll give you two references you can jot down that show us an example of this. Um, and actually, I'm just going to, I wasn't going to take the time, but you guys are cool with going over by now. So um, we'll just read it. Um, so quickly, so Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. So Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Uh, I'm going to read that in just a second. And then Matthew chapter 16, verse 17. So I want to look at a great example from the life of Peter of this very truth. So second Peter one twenty, and then Matthew sixteen seventeen. So if, uh, I think, yeah, Keith, I was going to call on you next time. Anyway, uh, Matthew sixteen seventeen. if you could read that for us, sir, in just a moment. All right. So second Peter one twenty. um, let me get there says this knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but by but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. What is Peter saying? What he experienced firsthand in Matthew sixteen seventeen. Uh, go ahead, Keith, and read that for us, please. Yeah. 
This is right after Jesus said, who do men say that I am? They give him the popular opinion poll. Then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus' response is, that's true, Peter. And you didn't figure that out on your own. You didn't just come up with that. My father revealed that to you in the same way Peter, in Second Peter, recognizes all scripture, both old and new, only come by revelation of God, by the working of the Spirit. And so Peter experienced it firsthand. He said that. God, Jesus says, that was given to you by my Father. And then later, he writes in his own epistle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, none of this or anything that has come in the past is from man-made determination. I didn't come up with this, right? This is all given to us by the Spirit of God. And that's what Paul's saying in Ephesians. This is not from your own understanding. You didn't make this up. That also means Paul didn't choose to be an apostle all on his own. Paul didn't choose to go through what he went through all on his own. This is all a calling by the Spirit, equipping by the Spirit, wisdom from the Spirit, revelation from the Spirit, all by what? By grace, not by, I'm going to figure this out. And so again, it's an encouragement. It's unsearchable, but by grace, we can enjoy the journey and growing and becoming more and more like Christ. Avi, I saw your hand go up. Oh, yep. But as far as just like, what a beautiful thing that is that the Spirit does that. Yes. You know what I mean? Because like anything that we know about the Bible, like anybody in this room that knows anything about the Bible that's true, that's the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Like that's a miracle. Yep. Like that's we talk about, we sing about dead bones coming to life. Yes. That's the work of the Spirit. Yep. Amen. Yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that because it's all, again, it's all finds its origin in and through the gospel in Christ. And so at the end of the day, anything we're thanked for or praised for or given credit for, for the purposes of Christ, we can instantly say, thank you for that. And by the way, it's okay to encourage people when they do something for the Lord. Hey, good job. Thank you for serving. But instantly our response is what? That didn't start with me. Because here's the thing, I'll be honest with you guys. If it was starting and ending with me, I wouldn't be in the church. I wouldn't be pastoring. I would have quit a long time ago. But because I'm not the one that called me in the ministry, God called me. And that doesn't mean that I don't have times of maybe Monday morning quitting. You know, that happens. But God is so gracious because, by the way, I can echo exactly what Paul said. I am the least of all the saints. Like, trust me. If you knew me like Jesus knew me, you wouldn't want me up here because I know I'm the least. But yet by his grace, for some reason, I can't fathom. He says, no, no, I'm going to call you. And by the way, he's calling you into wherever he's calling you, despite even though you know your weaknesses and you know what you did before you were saved, maybe even what you did since you've been saved. And God says, if you repent of that, I will use you. And so again, it's all, why? So that his grace for all generations is on display. Not me, I'm not on display, but the grace and the riches of his grace is on display. Paul's wording again emphasizes the fact that his ministry is from God rather than his own design. He could not and would not have chosen his exact path, yet God had a purpose in calling Paul, which changed countless lives. And that's what he's doing through you, by the way. Even though you know you have inadequacies and failures and and many reasons to say, God, you can't use me. But God is saying, no, 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 I I want to use you. I don't have to use you. I can do this any number of ways, but I'm choosing to call you so that you can experience the blessing and the fullness of being used by me for my glory. So last verse, verse 13. Let's jump into there. Verse 12, I, I won't spend too much time there, but obviously just the beauty of verse 12 Um, I hope you circled the words boldness, access, and confidence. Man, what a... That's part of it, yep. It's also, you can jot down um, a good, another passage for that, speaking to that unhindered unity with Christ. It's Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, that we can come boldly before the throne of grace and receive mercy in the proper time. And so again... Unhindered unity. I didn't have that in my notes, so I'm glad Renee noticed it. I was like, I don't know. What did I say? All right. 
So here we see verse 13. He kind of wraps up this part of the passage. He's going to move into a beautiful prayer for the church. But here he wraps up this beautiful part of the passage. Uh, Wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. And so Paul's last thing here is his encouragement to walk in strength. Paul encourages the church to not faint or grow weary in well-doing when they hear about the trials that are coming against Paul. And again, we looked at this in our uh, Revelation study of the seven churches and the church of Ephesus. Um, not only was Paul being persecuted, the believers in Ephesus were dealing with persecution. But Paul says, hey, when you hear about this, when you hear about the things I'm going through, don't get weary. Don't give up. Don't faint. Don't quit. Keep going. Um, again, remember, Paul is writing this letter not only spiritually as a prisoner of Christ, but literally as a prisoner of Christ. He's a prisoner of Rome. And yet his intention is, uh, attention rather, is on the church not growing weary. That's awesome. He's sitting under house arrest. He's imprisoned, literally imprisoned. And yet his biggest concern is, I don't want you guys to grow weary. We would have the temptation to write about how unfair it is that we're sitting in a prison for doing nothing wrong. He says, hey, you know what my biggest concern is? You guys just keep the course. You guys keep doing what God has called you to do. What an encouragement from Paul. So again, this imprisonment Paul described was his first Roman imprisonment, which took place between approximately 60 and 62 AD. During this time, Paul was under house arrest while awaiting trial. Despite his confinement for two years, Paul was able to freely preach the gospel to all who came to him. And as a result, even some of Caesar, among Caesar's household came to faith. You could jot down Philippians chapter 4, verse 22. So Philippians 4, 22. In addition, during this time, Paul wrote four letters that we actually call the prison epistles. Uh, this would be Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, and obviously Ephesians. So Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. And Ephesians, this is why if you ever, when you read Philippians, Colossians, and Ephesians together, maybe back to back to back, there's so many similarities. Because again, God was just speaking through him, and these are all written to local churches, which again, needed similar encouragement in some ways, right? All needed to be directed back to the right things. Um, Presumably, his imprisonment actually allowed him to write even more letters, which did not become a part of the Bible. So, Why in the world would God ever put Paul, the greatest Christian missionary we've ever read of? 13 epistles written by Paul, traveled approximately 10,000 miles by foot preaching the gospel. We see the first known European convert in Acts 16 in Lydia. And yet, this great missionary, this great man of God who was used by God to do great things, why in the world would he ever put him in prison and allow him to be sitting in prison for two years? Because he needed him to write some things. And so often we think, God, why would you ever let me go through that? Don't ask the question, why am I going through this? Ask the question, Lord, what do you want to do through me and in me while I'm going through this? How can you be glorified in this? He reminds them, uh, the church, that all he is going through is for them, meaning the church and the Gentiles as a whole. You can jot down Philippians 1, uh, 12 through 20 is another example of that. Philippians 1, 12 through 20. Paul also says that the suffering he endured would bring about glory for them. Talks about that this is glory for them. Uh, The question we must ask is, what does that mean? Is this referring to some future glory or crowns in heaven because they supported him? Some have suggested it could refer to some future glory, some future connection to Paul's fruitfulness. One commentary actually suggested, which I thought this was interesting, that Paul, in using the word glory in Ephesians, he uses it six times um, in this letter. Yet only here does he mention something intended for the church's glory rather than for God's. Now, that doesn't mean that God's not glorified, but he's specifically saying the church will be glorified or receives glory in this suffering. The idea, according to one commentary, seems to be that Paul suffered on their behalf and did so honorably. He was not arrested for lawless activities or immorality, but rather for his faith in Jesus Christ. As a result, many had come to faith and spoke out more boldly for the Lord. I referenced Philippians 1 already. They could be encouraged at how God continued to work in Paul's ministry despite all that Paul was facing at the time. So he's saying, 
this isn't a shameful thing for you to be connected with me because I'm not in prison because I did something wrong. I'm in prison for Christ. And so you're going to receive glory for that because we're connected. We're one. We're in the body together. And you will be receiving glory or honor because you're with me in my sufferings, not for wickedness, but for Christ. And so again, another suggestion as to what could be referred to there. We do know that Paul refers to the church receiving glory and honor for being with him in his suffering as well in the Lord's eyes. So in conclusion, quickly, and I appreciate your grace in this. Uh, in this chapter, uh, I believe we see the humility of Paul under the weight of great revelation. We also see our standing with Christ as equal to anyone else in Christ. Apart from who we are or what we do, we are held in the promise of Christ by grace alone. We may feel inadequate or limited due to our failures before we knew Christ or even since we've known Christ. However, we've been given the mystery of Christ. So it was revealed through Paul, written to the church. But now guess what? That mystery is now made known to us in Christ. So what do we now have the responsibility to do? To share this ministry of reconciliation with others. That others would come to know that they can be one in Christ. We can carry this message that Paul reveals boldly to those that have not yet heard. So what's the encouragement? Let us grow in the manifold wisdom of God so that we might praise him and make him known. You feel inadequate. You feel insufficient. You feel like your past sins are holding you back. Only the enemy is telling you those things. Only the enemy is telling you that your past sins will keep God from using you. Only the enemy and only your flesh is telling you that God could never use you. When we surrender to him and we start seeking out who he really is in his word and we find that wisdom that he gives us, all of a sudden we realize, oh no, he can use me because he's not using me because of my ability, my performance. He's using us because we're surrendered and available so that he is glorified and his grace is on display. Paul was the least, by his own admission, of all saints less than the least. And yet God used him to literally shape the known world. And we still see the impact of Paul today. And so again, don't let the enemy convince you that you can't do what God is calling you to do because it's not you doing it. Paul says what? It's not me working. It's grace in me. Now he does say, I worked harder than all of them, right? He says that in first Corinthians 15, I worked harder than all of them, but not really me. It was grace working in me. So just be surrendered to his grace and watch him use you. Let us pray. And we'll let you guys be dismissed. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And as we find in reading the scriptures, we find that it reveals to us not only the knowledge of salvation, how we can be saved, how we can know you, and rather, maybe even more importantly, how we're known by you as a son and a daughter, as a saint, as one that's beloved. We're no longer enemies. We've been reconciled to you by the gift of Christ. We've been made one. So, Lord, as we celebrate that truth and we enjoy that and we are so thankful for your grace that's been extended to us individually, I pray that we would know that that grace was not meant to just stay with us. That you have called us to reveal this message to others. To direct them to your word. And that as we share your word with others and they come to know Christ, or we share your word with others that they would grow in their relationship with Christ, we realize that not only saving faith, but a growing faith comes from the reading and understanding of your word. So help us to enjoy the journey of seeking you in your word, to search out these, Lord, yes, ultimately unsearchable. We'll never know all of it. But all the joy that comes from just a consistent daily time with you, growing in that wisdom, growing in that application of your word. And Lord, I know that Anyone who's been in church a long time, anyone that's been saved for a long time, they've heard grace talked about a lot. And I know it can get old to our ears. We know we've been saved by grace, and we, if we're not careful, we take it a little bit for granted. We make it almost a little vain, meaning empty and without substance. We start to think that it's what we do that keeps us and not what you've done. And so, Lord, help us not to grow weary or faint in the face of persecution, but also, Lord, to not grow weary or faint in the face of complete freedom and opportunities. I think the American church, Lord, is not growing weary because we're faced with persecution. I think the American church is growing weary because we have so many freedoms that we've allowed it to create an apathy in us that we grow weary in well-doing because we just trust grace and we know we'll get in and what's the big deal. And 
Lord, I pray you'd stir within us a vibrancy and a passion for you and your word, that we would be passionate and zealous to seek out these truths in scripture. As Proverbs says, we would chase after wisdom like a valuable treasure so that, not that we would grow with head knowledge and impress others with what we know, but so that we would worship you more effectively for who you really declare yourself to be. And yet, as your word says, there's not enough paper, not enough ink to really explain and write out and describe all that you are, all that you've done. And so thank you, Lord, for that reminder. It's, it's humbling, but it's a good humility because it puts you, as somebody already said, Lord, it puts you in the center. We elevate you because you are the great I am. You are the unsearchable one. You are the one that we could not even scratch the surface of understanding without you allowing us that wisdom. So thank you for a God or for being a God that you declare yourself to be and forgive us where we've made you into the God that we think you should be. And Lord, would you go with us as we go our separate ways? Would you give us opportunities and awareness of the opportunities that you put around us already to speak your name, to share your gospel, and to help others grow in their faith for your glory alone and because of grace, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, you guys are dismissed. We'll see you Wednesday nights. 7 o'clock. And don't forget the kids, uh, Tammy C. will be with the kids on Wednesday night, so we're excited for that. And so if you did not stop by the table earlier, um, it was a little crowded over there. So take some time tonight before you leave. Pick up a prayer card. Check out the table there and all the information there. So thank you guys for being here. We'll see you Wednesday night at 7 o'clock.